0: So I played rugby and it's one thing to know how to pass the ball, it's another thing to know game strategy and you can know game strategy and know how to pass the ball till the cows come home, but it's an entirely different thing to know how to play with certain people on a field and to know how to do that in a way that gets you to the end zone. And the longer you do it, you start to know what to look for, how that person runs, what angles they tend to run, how you can be of in support, and that is, to me, the transactional competence part, the part that actually gets that information knowledge into the car and moving forward
1: helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura County, California, This podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Melissa Baer earned a university education in marketing and business and was raised on an organic farm. She's an uncommon hybrid of stilettos and rubber boots, weaned on her father's mantra that without money in the bank, you can't make a real difference. She's battled both business and health challenges, only to discover peace, satisfaction, and vitality through the study of transactional competence. You'll hear her speak about the profound impact of coming to understand the influence ecology mantra, you're always transacting. Here's the interview. Melissa Bear, welcome to the Influence Ecology Podcast. It's great to have you with us.
0: Thank you. I'm honored.
2: Me too. Tell me a little bit about what you do and who are you?
0: Melissa Bear, I build businesses for sustainable long-term futures that benefit humanity, I guess is the most succinct way I've been able to say that. Mm. And I come from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, which is a, it's a city with agriculture right outside of it. And I grew up on an organic farm. We were certified in 1987, way before there was a movement in that, or even a conversation about what organic really was. My dad's whole mission was health and well-being for all people. So that was sort of my background. Wow. And then I continued on that path and uh, as a rugby player, and, which is a bizarre thing to do in Canada. Uh, so athlete most of my life. And then I trained in New Zealand ages ago and went back to Canada, decided to take on doing a farm business. I worked out a way to distribute organic grass-fed beef to local consumers. And then there were circumstances that happened and it became very evident that I was not going to be able to continue along that path. So I had built quite an identity, like, a, and this probably will come evident later on. I built quite an identity. I have really curly hair and I'm very recognizable. And so my face was over a lot of things and my voice and my opinions. (laughs) I decided to move literally as far away as you could get to see what it would look like to reinvent an identity in a place where no one knew me. So that's what brought me to New Zealand.
2: Oh gosh, can't wait to hear more about that one. That sounds juicy. So say again what you do now.
0: I kind of joke and say I like pushing boulders uphill. You know, I really like the initial parts of what is this idea? And does it make sense in the world? And does it does anyone really care? And how do we make it so that it's autonomous and it's it's something that exists outside of the business owner? So what I do now is I help businesses be able to do that better so that they can make a bigger difference in the world, increase their impact. And obviously, as a result, the bottom line and all kinds of other factors that you can consider in terms of what really makes a business go, sustainability, impact in the world, obviously finances the people you work with, all those kinds of things. Most people call it social enterprise. I've just grown up going at business because if it's going to stick around, it has to work for a lot of people.
2: I'm curious about that part of it because sometimes when I think of sustainable business, mostly I think of those concerned for the business as a conscious entity. In other words, they're uh, tending to many things besides the bottom line or in addition to the bottom line. But it sounds like you may have had some early lessons about the bottom line. And I'm kind of curious about what your dad taught the kids growing up about the bottom line. What, what happened there? The
0: conversation was, if you don't have any money in your bank account, you can't make a difference. It's it like drilled into my head. The small farm needs to make money. The farm needs to make money. And that is just because that was in the, that was in the, in the ethos of how I grew up. And I think that that's benefited me. So now it's sort of for profit for change there's lots of people doing that conscious consumer social enterprise thing. And that's fantastic. And there's lots of difference being made. I like the angle of for profit for change. I like that there's built in accountability structures. I like that, that it attends to a lot of needs and that it, it causes you to think a little harder. You have to get real creative sometime as, as to how you can really make a difference and make money and in doing so make a difference for more people. So that's, that's what I'm, I get quite jazzed about.
2: That's fantastic. It's my experience that there are people who are in one camp or another, either committed to making a difference, but I'm poor and struggling, or committed to making a lot of money, but screw the people. I know there are thoughts like that in the world. My experience of most business owners, most people who want to make a living, most people who are out there selling their wares, their products and services... Most of the small business owners around the planet that I know, they are committed to doing good and making a living and to satisfy both those things quite well, not one or the other. So I think it's an important topic.
0: I would just say I would add scale into that. And I think that's come about in this last 10 years where I built my business, but I didn't build it where it was innately ready to scale straight away from day one. If I leave this world a better place, it's so that I can affect lots and lots of people. If I have a part to play in building businesses that can scale and have more impact, that's, that's how I would be.
2: Well, that's great. I want to know a little bit about your own journey. You sound like you had a, a very well-rounded upbringing in a lot of different ways. And you obviously struggled in, in all the ways that any human being does, you know, in the early days and, and so forth. But I'm curious about your primary struggles that led you to influence ecology. What was going on? What was happening? And what led you here?
0: I was about 27 or 28 when I moved to New Zealand. I made the choice that I needed to start fresh and it was quite abrupt. So I had really run myself down. I was quite adrenally fatigued. The biology, it was not functioning well. So I really took a rest. I did about a month where I just, I rested. I had no energy even to explore the beautiful thing that is New Zealand. So I just read books and I rested and I am ambitious. I just, I don't know any other way. You know, I said to my sister this morning, I'm I'm a bit of a racehorse, you know, I don't know any other way but to run around the track. (laughs) So I got better, I got well, and I started to realize, okay, well, I got to this point in my life, I did some stuff, what's next? And how come it hasn't turned out the way I thought it was going to? If you look at all the training and from 12 years old, my dad immersed me in, I think the first book I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And Tony Robbins was on cassette tape, you know, ongoingly. So there was that kind of immersion into those teachings and how to consider business and how to think about that differently. And so I thought, how can someone with all of what I have and all of what I've done, and I'm just a go-getter, so I packed a lot of crap into my life, of experiences and learning at this point, I was still not doing what I thought I was going to do. And not even so much that I wasn't making the money. I knew I could get a job. I knew I could do that. It was more that what didn't sit well with me, and I think which is a throwback to my upbringing, is I wasn't making a difference. I just wasn't making the difference I knew I could make. Then a friend of mine put me in touch with Drew, and we had a conversation. The similarities between me and Drew or his experience and my experience was uncanny. Yep. I thought, how does this guy know what's going on in my brain? It was a puzzle piece. I think I, I wrote that to you. Is it was a puzzle piece that I thought, wow, rubber hits the road here, and we're going to do some stuff.
2: And then when you began your studies here, what did you begin to find? What were the missing pieces that you'd begin to discover?
0: Given I'd done a lot of stuff and learning and reading and studying, I thought, surely this can't be anything new. And I was quite um, resigned to the yeah. fact that I'd spent some money again to do more training and more learning. And was this really going to make a difference? So I was sitting a little back. I knew I was going to do the work because that's never not going to do what I say I'm going to do. But the mindset, probably around halfway through FOT, it shifted big time for me. There's a conversation about immigration in New Zealand. And, and I realized, oh my God, I'm getting good at this. I am being able to affect the outcome of my life based on how I can enroll or communicate and transact with other people to get the kind of life I want to live now that's something I had not felt like I had before very well
2: and so you found you could transact for immigration or around that topic yes so you learned to transact powerfully because we say those who transact powerfully times so what was the circumstance and what happened
0: There's some weird loophole in the, I was in the region that my visa should have been able to transfer, but my head office was in a different part of the country. So different rules applied. And I got on the phone, I spoke to someone, I got put in touch with an immigration, my person, my liaison, I guess. And what should have taken probably six to eight months took less than a month. And he coached me through the whole thing. And, you know, there was times where I had to really be a stand no that's not going to work this has to work and, and even having him call me back and getting things done on time and being very clear about what it is I was required to do and what that actually means and the funny part was that I sent him a, a thank you card and he responded back to me and said that that has like never happened inside of immigration in New Zealand and because most people probably just yell at them because they're frustrated and agitated and their whole survival's at risk really that they're they're dealing with people who are kind of either being kicked out of the country or whatever and he got taken to lunch with all the big hotshots inside of Immigration New Zealand and he said he didn't have to pay for lunch for a week, so it was quite cool.
2: Oh well, and in your notes you, you said that you found out that what was missing was transactional competence. That that's like the big missing. I don't remember the last time I heard somebody say, Oh, you know, I need to Google some transactional competence <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> It's not what people are out looking for. But so many people say the same thing. It's like a big missing that suddenly brings everything together. So what would you say about that? What to somebody listening? Why is transactional competence the big missing?
1: If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship program participation is by application only and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals business leaders and executives from a variety of countries industries and cultures to find out more you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast, or in the US or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008, and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast.
0: Well, because you can know a lot of stuff. Information is no longer at a premium. We can Google anything. We can It's just there. It's all there. And coordinate action, I think, is a lot of the the terminology you use. And that's a powerful thing because that's actually demonstrating that you know something and that you can have other people step in line. I'm a stickler for sports analogies because I understand sports. (laughs) So I played rugby and it's one thing to know how to pass a ball. It's another thing to know game strategy. And you can know game strategy and know how to pass the ball till the cows come home. But it's an entirely different thing to know how to play with certain people on a field and to know how to do that in a way that gets you to the end zone. And the longer you do it, you start to know what to look for, how that person runs, what angles they tend to run, how you can be in support. And that is, to me, the transactional competence part. The the part that actually gets that information knowledge into the car and moving forward.
2: We use the All Blacks as an analogy in one of our leadership papers in our most advanced programs because there's a...
0: It's phenomenal.
2: It is phenomenal, right?
0: It's amazing what they've been able to accomplish. And I don't think people really understand what that requires year in, year out, and day to day, the level of commitment to excellence to be able to do that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I think 75 years of almost consistent wins. One of the reasons that we studied the All Blacks in one of our most advanced papers is because... They ascribe to a kind of leadership that we would call transactional leadership, where number one person is the leader. Here in in the United States, there's always the people that are sort of heralded as the champion. And that one person, that big person, we're paying the millions and millions of dollars. That's why that team's a winning team, which is never the case, by the way. Never, ever the case. It's always all of the little things that happen on the team all together and all the ways those people have the capacity to play together well or not. And so with the All Blacks, they... Pass leadership. Yeah. They literally pass it all the time for whatever the aim may be. And so it's a great way to simply say there's a kind of way to lead and accomplish things where I don't have to be the one. You know, I don't have to be if it's to be it's up to me and me alone. It certainly is up to me. But it, it isn't to me and to me alone. It's to me and a whole bunch of others where I'm coordinating action and I'm transacting effectively and powerfully for all of us to meet our co-constitutive, our reciprocal aims together. And it's a very, very, very powerful notion and a wonderful thing to see in action. Anything else about that?
0: I love sports. I'm, I'm like an athlete through and through, but individual sports don't love them. I, I want to play on a team. My personality, inside of what you teach, is very people-oriented, and so that feeling of synergy, of getting the feedback, of working together to accomplish something, is part of why I love that. It's almost less so what is the actual outcome; it's more the process.
2: That's great. And say for people who are listening, what the personality is, and say a little bit about that.
0: I'm performer, which I guess falls in in the transaction cycle after what would be the inventor personality and you asked me what was the big thing that came out of that just knowing that i am that and that i live in the fishbowl of strategy and implementation <laughs> that's how i see the world and that's what i love doing and and coordinating people and i do always think is this possible through the people we have available is this possible through any converse is there a conversation to be had that can make this possible by using the resources we have which are people and mm-hmm. when i started to just recognize that stop trying to be something i wasn't I find it quite interesting that my father is a full-on inventor. My mom is a full-on producer, and I kind of live in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, performer and people-oriented, and yeah, how do we work together?
2: Great. So then going through your journey, you started out with adrenal fatigue. (laughs) Just crazy spent, right? Just spent. And like many people, they are skills, they have talents, they have their 10,000 hours, you know, in some particular domain of skills and so forth, yet somehow something's missing. And you said that what you found was missing was transactional competence. We've talked a little bit about that. So now what began to happen for you in the satisfaction of your conditions of life as you began to transact with competence? What, what started to unfold and happen?
0: So... I'll just step back half a step in that I was when I was in Canada and running my business. It, I was very much in the notion of if it's going to happen, I have to do it. So very self-acting, and and then I realized. Well, I realized the effect on my body very, very evidently and i have i had a renewed commitment when i came here that that was never going to happen again i don't have the energy to do that i just don't and it's not a long term solution and and if i'm talking about sustainable business that is one thing that is not sustainable <laughs> so so as a result of being able to then transact more powerfully everything from the kinds of friends i would keep changed i realized that i know where i want to go or at least i have some idea and then everything started to you start to look through look at everything in your life through that lens as to is this supporting me or not supporting me? And so friends started to change my own transacting with myself. How do I make sure I get to the gym in the morning? Knowing how my brain works and how I can kind of hijack it to get what I want out of myself. <laughs> and I had to, I had to repair a relationship with my father. Um, that became totally different through, through transaction and through I knew what I wanted and, and being able to articulate that and being able to have those conversations to, to, and knowing what he wanted so that we could find what was going to work. And I could go on like in terms of just yeah. is every day today, ordering coffee to when my car broke down to mechanics. And, and then more recently, I think I've because uh, my big mission has been career identity. As I go on, I'm getting much better at being able to transact for help. And knowing how to have an identity or articulate an identity that allows people to ask for my help. So that is also transacting and knowing what you do, how to articulate it, how to empower other people to present offers and requests to you so that you can go out and do more work and make a bigger impact in the world.
2: I don't remember the the last time I had a guest who talked about all the little things because it, it, really, did, it really is all the little things, transactional competences, all the little things, all the ways in which I transact in the day-to-day conversations and the call I'm on and this podcast and the dry cleaner and kids and my spouse and my, you know, all of those things all together add up to, wait a second, am I transacting effectively in this situation to have this benefit both parties in a way that works for both of them and leaves me satisfied with what I want and leaves them satisfied with what they want and so forth. Yeah, it's kind of an amazing thing
0: The other thing I would say about that is the effect on me is that my anxiety, my stress, it's much more peaceful to be me at the moment because there's clarity. There's no junk in the backyard. You know, there's just, there's everything in my life is there for a reason. And everyone in my life is there for a reason. And just very clear. This is what the aim is for this condition of life. And does it satisfy it or not? And there's no, there's no having to second guess or question or be in indecision or consideration for very long, um, which makes for a very peaceful life.
2: Tell me about radical ownership.
0: (laughs) Um, I think it, so again, comes from growing up on the farm and you start to see that the indifference people have to their health, to their food, their food system. So we were very intimate with that kind of thing. And so I was selling grass fed beef, organic certified organic grass fed beef before, before CrossFit, before Omega threes became in really mainstream knowledge. Um, So, I was targeting only naturopaths and, pr- and those kinds of practitioners that really understood that the effect that healthy meat and non-toxic meats has on your body. And I just became so aware that my health is my job. And I think I have a, a unique relationship to it because I had asthma at five years old. And my doctors told me I'd never play sports. I'd never do anything. And I just thought, no. And my dad actually showed me that there's a whole lot of other ways and there's more questions to ask. And, and that if I wanted to live a life, it was it was up to me. And then it took me a while because there's sort of that fallacy that I'm going to do it myself, but really that I have to just be a demand for it. Like if you're not a demand for a better life, if you're not a demand for a healthier life, then it's not, it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that you have to do it by yourself and, and you probably won't. But I, I just like the idea that if we had a little bit more ownership, especially as we get into this PC kind of world, what am I making it mean? If someone says something to me and I'm getting upset, my experience of my life is up to me. And so if I'm upset about something, what did I make that mean? Ultimately, it's like this in service of a coexistence, a peaceful coexistence amongst humans. And oddly enough, it was actually Wonder Woman. Because there's a quote in there, it's not very well known, but it's it's where she says, we are the Amazons. We are here to create a bridge between men or something. And I was like, wow, they're there to create peaceful coexistence. And And in this totally fictional story, I realized that is what radical ownership can give you is if if you just take on this is my job it's no one else's i'm not depend i'm not going to blame someone else for the outcome of my life um, i'm going to start to transact i'm going to start to have conversations i'm going to start to enter into the inquiry as to what what can be done to have a life turn out the way i want it to i do think we'd be able to peacefully coexist much better
2: really great i want to ask you a little bit about your experience of indifference you pointed to something about i'd call it the importance of acknowledging the indifference that is you talked about people being indifferent to where their food comes from and, and all of those kinds of things. But as we teach it, indifference is one of those things that people don't grasp well. Sometimes people don't accept that the world is an a different place. They think, no, 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 people care and they're not indifferent to me. We'd say, well, let's just inspect it. We can take people through an exercise where they start to come to terms with the fact that even the people most dear to them, even the people who love them the most... If I'm high enough cost to my friends and family, if I'm saying, hey, can I live on your couch for free for the next three years? I may have that request met with indifference, for example. And I don't think people are walking around being responsible for the level of indifference there is in the world to their invitations, to their requests, to their offers, and so forth. And we all often teach people that they would need to impact the indifference Because if they don't impact the indifference, then it'll just be there. Anything you have to say about what you battled with around indifference or how you impacted the indifference?
0: I'll talk about how I battled with it because I talked about the naivete entering into (laughs) influence ecology. I mean, of course, everyone should know how awesome I am and everyone should know what I know and everyone should want what I have. And then when you're met with like, you know, almost like a smack in the face of no one cares. (laughs) <laughs> no one cares. And, and I, I guess, in a way, was, was not taking responsibility for articulating, well, I wasn't reaching the people I need to in a way that was going to be powerful. So I was met with quite a bit of indifference and it was quite confronting for, for quite some time. So that's where I battled with the indifference in the marketplace and that unless people know that I'm a solution to a breakdown, they don't care. Mm-hmm. And then going back to the food and the farm and the, the frustration around that kind of indifference, part of the reason... I like the customer acquisition part of a business is because being able to have that conversation and present that breakdown and to have people get, oh my gosh, I have a problem. (laughs) I didn't have a problem before, but now I do. And they've always had it, but they didn't know they had it. So the indifference is frustrating, especially for me because I've had that, it just comes naturally to me, that health thing. So I had to create a conversation. I had to create a narrative. I had to create a lot of social current information Mm -hmm. around why it was a problem that they weren't buying from me or why it was a problem that they weren't even considering it. And it got to the point that I didn't even care if they bought from me. I just wanted them to actually consider where they were purchasing from. If you extrapolate it out a little bit further. So where I came from, there was all of a sudden people are starting to ask more questions. Is it local? Is it healthy? Is it what's been happening? Talk to your farmer, get in touch, you know, make those connections. So you actually have a face to the name and things like that. Then you added a whole bunch of labels for food. Well, we were one of them, organic, local, humane, naturally raised. <laughs> and it just ends up perpetuating the same things it, that the mass consumer can be unconscious and can just trust that this label means a thing, and then they just buy that. I just find this very rare to have someone who actually says, okay, I've thought about this, and here's why I do this. And, th- that, and I think it comes from my coach, my very first coach when I was 14 as a rugby player, and she said, listen, we don't do anything here that doesn't have a purpose. And everything we do has a reason we thought about it and we've implemented it. If you have a suggestion, we're open to hearing it, but we're not going to just do things for doing things because other people do it. And it made me so aware of the amount of work and effort that needs to go into a very intentional life. So she would never put a process in place, a play into the into our playbook, unless it was well thought out, it was in line with everything we we're trying to accomplish and and fit everything else. And I think I, just without even knowing it, adopted a lot of that into my own life. I mistakenly think that other people do as well. (laughs) And it's not the case. So when I became very aware that actually that's a rare quality to find, then on the flip side, takes something to actually have people wake up to seeing that they haven't done that work.
2: And when you first started studying here and found out about our focus on accurate thinking, was that like, yay? Or how, how was that for you?
0: It was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, thank God, someone's doing this. And am I guilty of not always doing the accurate thinking? Yes. Am I better at finding people who maybe can shine a light on where I'm not being thinking accurately? Yes. It was more just like having that distinction and knowing other people do this as well. They think a, few things, a little bit before we go ahead and do something. And like you said, the ecology or having people around you that have different ways of thinking to be able to... And, and I like that because that means we're in a team. <laughs> Bring it on.
2: All right. So in your journey, you know, every journey has an arc, right? So in your journey, people are wondering, well, how's life now? Is it? Is she better? Is, is she tired still? Is she, you know, how's it now? It's
0: quite good. And this um, interview is quite timely because there was quite a major shift, I think, from even July to September. I went home to Canada and... Travel always gives you perspective and that kind of thing, but I'm healthier. I like quantifiably so. You know, like I I do a lot of a lot of things to test and and that kind of thing. Brain things healthier. I have energy. I wake up in the morning voluntarily. I I can do health. I know how to maintain it. It's just something I've I've done my whole life because of lots of different health challenges I've been forced to learn. But it's been a long time since I've actually had something that calls me forward and calls me into to stretch in that health area. And so I've taken on a bit of a game to learn a new sport. And I had long time settled for the fact that my knees were just rubbish and I was not going to be able to do anything. And it's like a grieving process because it's so much a part of who I am. that. So I just thought, bugger that. I am too young to sit on the sidelines. So I've taken on this really big, hairy, audacious goal or game, I guess, of getting back to being a fully competitive athlete and in a new game. You know, we can talk more about why I think that I'm able to do that, but (laughs) I do think I'm able to do that. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and regardless of that, it's just, uh, I just get so much joy out of it. It's the process. And so that's what's happening. And business is way better. So I'm working way less hours. Like if you want to look at the actual numbers and facts, I'm working way less hours and I'm making what I was making before I um, recently resigned from a previous role. So, that's pretty cool, working a little bit more than half of what I was working before, making the same. Yeah, I I just I do things that make me happy, and I have relationships that make me happy. There's certain things that you don't even consider that will come out of it. I grew up in a very conservative background, and being indifferent to the fact that I did relationships the way that my parents did relationships, and I didn't even think about it, as opposed to now, where I have the access to being able to articulate How does Melissa do relationships and and, and, and (laughs) in service of what? (laughs) And so that just gives me a whole lot of peace because there's clarity and there's no no stress, there's no anxiety, there's no um, questions that are not answered. There's a process in place and that gives me, you know, as much as I'm a performer and I like freedom, freedom only comes when there's structure. Does that answer your question as to what life is like now?
2: it does it does absolutely all right well melissa thank you so very much for joining us on the influence ecology podcast it's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more and i'm sure the people around who don't yet know you will go yay now i know her just a little bit more it's been a pleasure
0: i appreciate it, it was, it's been a joy
2: in our guru talk we listen in on a portion of the fundamentals of transaction program And the lesson on this topic, it's our mantra and title of this podcast, You're Always Transacting. Our mantra is you're always transacting. You and I are always transacting to satisfy your conditions of life and so is everyone else. One of the reasons this program works in the way that it does is if you consider this mantra, if you consider the possibility that you are always transacting, then It orients you to pay attention to how you're transacting and if you're transacting powerfully or not. It also orients you to that everyone else is transacting for your compliance, everyone else is transacting for you to agree, to buy their wares, to accept the newest fashion and so forth. So... You and I are always transacting to satisfy our conditions of life and so is everyone else. The opportunity of today and our focus primarily is to point you to how you transact and the mirror that we promise to hold up. Throughout your introduction to our program, perhaps in a workshop, in a one-on-one with one of our client managers, one of our staff, with perhaps the person that introduced you, you heard something that looked like, we're going to hold up a mirror to your behavior. We're going to hold up a mirror that says, what's it like to transact with you? So we (laughs) we have from time to time people that argue with the basic premise that we have, and, and that is that how you transact here is how you transact. How you transact here is how you transact. And people sometimes argue with that, and they say, well, you know, that's not how I normally am. Oh, well, you know, this is different because X and Y. We'd like for you to consider that perhaps that may be a naive statement, that, in fact, how you transact here is how you transact. For example, you're on time or you're not. You're late. You're just in time. Maybe you complete your study papers in advance or just in the nick of time. You come to the call to this session today. You come prepared to ask questions. Or you instead come prepared for having something done to you. I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. You participate with a kind of appropriate respect, or with some conceit, naivete, or entitlement. I think I'm going to stop and I'm going to say that one for just a moment, because it's often the case that people don't know they demonstrate a kind of naivete. Think about this for a second. I'm 55. I have the, the opportunity from time to time to transact with someone who is perhaps in their early 20s or teens. If I think about most of the teens that I transact with, the teen tends to relate to themselves like they know everything there is to possibly know on the planet and often roll their eyes at me because they know that I don't know something and they really do know what it's like to live their life and so forth and so on. This is the same way with every teenager I think I've ever met. You and I in our 40s and 50s know that that's just a 17 or 15 or teenager being a teenager. We know that they're demonstrating a kind of conceit or naivete or entitlement. They don't know that. They don't know that, but we know that. So if you imagine that you understand what I'm talking about, you you know what it's like to observe naivete in a teenager, you know what it's like to observe entitlement in a teenager. What we'd like for you to consider is is that perhaps you demonstrate on a regular basis to all kinds of other people, especially those who are savvy, especially those who know that you might have some conceit, naivete, or entitlement in the way that you transact. And we want you to discover that. We want you to be able to see that. We want you to be able to know, oh gosh, that thing I've been doing, that thing I've been doing was actually a demonstration of my conceit. That thing I've been doing or the way that I've been acting completely demonstrates to the world that I'm naive <laughs> it just welcomes everyone to take advantage of me. Or that thing that I do shows so much disrespect for other people and their transactions that I had no idea how disrespectful it was. So... You participate with the appropriate respect or with conceived naivete or entitlement. There's another one here. You work with others or you work alone. It is often a preference for some personalities to want to work alone. We're going to talk about study groups a little bit later on today. And we do not recommend that you work alone in this group. In fact, if you participate with for very long at all, you're going to hear more and more about the opportunity of working with others, about the great resource there is in other people, about all of the help that you can get, all the help that's available to you to meet your aims if you learn to play well with others, if you learn to work with others, if you learn some of the things that have kept you alone, that have kept you working alone, to keep you Uh, To yourself, that keep your offers small, that keep you from growing and scaling, that keep you right where you are. So, we want you to understand that that's one of those things that you'll demonstrate here. You'll want to work alone as opposed to working with others. This next one, you wait for us to do you versus transact to meet your aims. I pointed to this a little bit earlier. It is certainly the case that you and I. We're all used to sitting down and watching our television at the end of the day or going to a movie. We like to be entertained. There's an an enormous amount of content available for us to consume and watch and listen to and enjoy. So many people, when they first begin our programs, they wait for us to do them. When they go to a conference sometimes, they wait for us to... Give them some nugget of wisdom that will turn everything out as opposed to transacting to meet their aim. It is often the case that a conference, for example, will start out a conference and say, look, if you came here expecting to be done to, you're in the wrong conference. You're you're just in the wrong conference. Because if you came here expecting us to do you, you're missing the point. You're here to learn how to transact to meet your aim. That may be a little bit weird at first. It may be awkward at first. You may have to raise your hand a lot. You may have to raise your hand when you're not exactly sure what to say or ask. You may have to prepare yourself to come with questions you think that are going to sound so stupid when you open your mouth, but they actually make a difference for you because you're transacting to meet your aims. One thing you should know about Influence Ecology for sure is that we are going to meet you at your level of ambition. If you're ambitious, we're going to meet you right where you are. If you're not, we're probably not going to work real hard to make you be ambitious, to to try to get you to be more ambitious, to try to motivate you. If you want motivation, if you want that kind of thing, you should go somewhere else. There are tens of thousands of programs out there that will motivate you. That's not this. This is the opportunity to observe that you often come to things waiting to get done to you, as opposed to transacting to meet your aims. And then finally, you are self-actional, interactional or transactional. Now this is a notion led in most of our advanced programs, but to introduce this here, and if you want to know more, you can read about it in the book on transactionalism. But you could say that there are three modalities to the way that people move in the world. Self actional is a kind of overlording over things as if you are somehow able through through your own will, through your own wishing, hoping, through your own intending that you can make stuff happen. You're somehow the ruler of a universe in which all things respond to your will. Okay, so that's self-actional. There's interactional. Which is a similar kind of action. It's similar kind of way to get your to get life to happen. And that is is that you force things to go your way. So self-actional again, it's a little bit more like I'm intending things to go my way. I'm willing them to go my way. Interaction is more. I'm going to force things to go my way. I'm going to power through. I'm going to press through. I'm going to press on. I'm going to push it through. I'm going to push and and all of that. So it's a interactional. And then finally, transactional, which is a kind of a reciprocal exchange. It's, It's an exchange that takes into account that you're part of an environment, that you're not separate from the environment. You're an animal in an environment. You're surrounded by lots of others There are lots of other ways lots of other kinds of help around you there are lots of other expertise around you there's all kinds of means in which to transact for what you need and want and it's uncommon to find that because self-action and interactional don't require much don't require as much skill don't require as much strategy They're simply I'm going to wish and intend or I'm going to force my way through. And transaction has you account for a world of others and living not in a fantasy as if you're somehow separate from the rest of the world, but that you're part of it and a constitutive element of it. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you do take a moment, go to the iTunes website and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank Melissa Baer for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence College staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirk and Tibbles and his 30 plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor, Jason Kelly. I'd also like to thank Tyson Crandall and Carol Gregory for their contributions.